In this episode of 2000 Books, repeat guest Jasim Gaye gives us five specific actionable ideas to minimize email time waste and increase productivity. Well, hello, hello, my ambitious friends, and welcome to 2000 Books. Every Monday and Wednesday, we bring you the most important actionable ideas from the world's greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs, books in the field of startups, marketing, sales, productivity, management, leadership, strategy, personal development, and much, much more. And I am your host, Manny Vaya. Jocelyn Gray was the founding editor and director of 99U and is a prolific author who has written and co-authored four books, Maximize Your Potential, Make Your Mark, Manage Your Day-to-Day, and Unsubscribe. Today, we're talking about her newly released book, which came out on October 4th, Unsubscribe, How to Kill Email Anxiety, Avoid Distractions, and Get Real Work Done. Jocelyn, I'm really excited to have you on the show and talk about how to become even more productive in our lives. So welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us again. You are a repeat guest now. So let's talk about Unsubscribe. Why did you write this book and why should an ambitious entrepreneur read this book? Kind of stackling, you know, why I wrote the book. I think that we're in this moment where we're really living in what I kind of call the age of distraction, where we're experiencing a really unprecedented level of strain on our attention. Um, You know, obviously, if you just think about how many apps you use in a day or how many browser tabs you have open right now, um, you know, how many kind of messages, alerts, notifications that we process in a day, it's kind of insane, right? And I think that the challenge of living in the age of distraction is that it's incredibly easy to be busy, but it's incredibly difficult to be deliberate and to be focused. Obviously, as an entrepreneur or any other type of creative person, you can't produce anything of value without focus. So the question for me is sort of what do we do as creative people, as business people, when we're living in a world that seems increasingly designed to sort of sabotage the focus that's necessary to produce any work of value? And so that question is kind of what um, my new book, Unsubscribe, And really all of the books that I've written look at. And the reason that I wanted to sort of zero in specifically on email for this book is that when you think about, you know, the distractions that are coming up in your day-to-day life, really public enemy number one is still email, right? If you look at some of the stats, you know, the average person is checking their email 11 times an hour. They're processing 122 messages a day. They're spending about 28% of their total work week on email. Wow. So, you know, the stats are pretty terrifying. The, the Washington Post actually just came out with this email calculator that like allows you to s- calculate how much of your life you'll waste on email. <laughs> and I think the average, you know, they had like an average number for someone's career and how much time they would waste on email. And it was something like 47,000 hours or, just, you know, something completely <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> That's a crazy number. Yeah, absolutely. Email is addictive. It wastes our time, but somehow we continue to do it. Why is that? Why do we continue to indulge in a behavior that we know isn't the most productive and at the same time isn't necessarily the one that's giving us the most bang for buck, but we continue to do it? Why do we do that? Sounds crazy. (laughs) Yeah, it seems like it makes no sense. So I think there's kind of two concepts that are really important to understand when we think about email and why we sort of find it so addictive, even when we kind of really dislike it at the same time. So if you think about your email, basically, it kind of functions in the same way as a slot machine on many levels. You know, so when you're operating a slot machine, right, the, the sort of whole appeal is that this idea of random rewards. So if you think about, you know, you check your inbox, it's kind of like 
like you're pulling a lever on a slot machine every time you, you know, check your email. And most of the time you get emails, you know, that are kind of disappointing, right? You're not winning anything. You know, you're getting an email from, you know, an investor nagging you about something that you don't want to deal with. Or, you know, you have a customer who has a problem that maybe is not, you know, the thing that you really want to turn your attention to right now. And so there's a lot of kind of annoying and irksome stuff. But every once in a while, you know, you get um, something really exciting, right? You know, you get someone who, um, you know, maybe invites you to speak at a conference that you've always wanted to speak at, or you get an email from a long lost friend. And it's really those sort of random rewards that create this kind of addiction that is, you know, incredibly common um, for one and sort of gambling, but also pertains beyond email, you know, to also things like, you know, social media and so many of the other tools and apps we use. It's this sort of idea that there's rewards in there, but there's unexpected. We never know what we're going to get them. And that kind of keeps us kind of constantly checking and checking. And so that's the first concept, that sort of notion of random rewards. The second concept that kind of fuels email addiction is this idea of completion bias. And so this is kind of the concept that our brains are sort of wired to seek completion. And when we complete a task, we kind of get this little hit of dopamine. And so that makes you want to kind of repeat that behavior um, because it's pleasurable to sort of, you know, experience that feeling again. And what that does is that it makes us sort of predisposed to want to focus on short, easy to complete tasks because we want to get that hit of completion. And so, you know, for email, if you think about it, right, like sort of inbox zero would be like kind of the ultimate completion. Mm -hmm. But even as you're kind of working your way through your inbox, every time you kind of like lower that unread message count, you kind of get this little mini hit of completion. And one of the things that I kind of compare it to in the book is this idea of the progress bar, right? Like your email inbox and the unread count kind of acts as a sort of implicit progress bar, you know, this type of thing that kind of lures you towards completion, you know, and that's, you know, all those different technologies, including email, and that's sort of unintentional with email, but are using kind of tapping into this urge to completion that we all have. And that's part of what makes it so very addicting. Absolutely. You've, you, you're talking to a person who's done all of this and uh, <laughs> uh, been a victim of this in many ways, like especially when I was in my corporate job as an engineer. I remember coming to my desk and the first thing I wanted to do was look at my unread emails and I was managing cell phone projects, billion dollar cell phone projects at the time. And the only thing I could focus on at the time when I saw 300 unread emails is, let's get this number down to a manageable level and then let's go out and do something useful. (laughs) (laughs) Not realizing that this was absolute waste of my energy, my focus and my prime time energy. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's what everyone does. We kind of have the email first and the sort of more important, more meaningful work second. And because, you know, the email kind of constantly keeps coming in, um, it really becomes something that kind of is, uh, you know, sort of replacing the more meaningful work, um, or we're just, you know, kind of letting it dictate sort of our mood, our focus and our to-do list rather than, um, you know, proactively deciding what we want to focus on. And so I kind of, you know, try to address that sort of strategically in the book as well. I think that's really important to be aware that we're wasting our energy, our really good solid energy early on in the day on doing something that can actually be done at a, in a more structured fashion throughout the day or not throughout the day, but in batches. So let's talk about that. You talk about the important idea of having a daily email routine. So tell us, 
what we should do and how to go about doing that. Yeah, well, so I think one of the most interesting kind of pieces of research that I came across while I was looking at the book was these studies that actually looked at, you know, how people checked email and what was kind of most effective for their productivity throughout the course of the day. And what they found when they, you know, kind of analyzed this group of people was that there's sort of two types of ways of approaching email. One was the sort of group of people that they called reactors, right? And those are the people who are sort of nibbling on their email throughout the day. It was very notification driven. And so they were kind of constantly moving back and forth between email and other tasks, shifting, sort of multitasking very quickly. And then the second group was a group of sort of what they call batchers. And these are people who are, you know, sort of deliberately limiting the amount of time that they spend on email and kind of constraining it to checking email for a few limited periods throughout the day, say like two to three times a day, for instance. Mm -hmm. And what the researchers found was that the people who checked their email in batches were significantly more productive, felt less stressed, and were happier at the end of the day. And they also found a direct correlation between how frequently you checked your email and how stressed out you felt at the end of the day. You know, I'm sure no one listening sort of finds that particularly surprising. I think we all kind of feel it. But I think it's quite interesting to understand that even from a scientific perspective, checking your email in batches is a more relaxing and productive approach. So I really recommend that people put specific blocks of time to check their email on their calendar. Um, I recommend putting it on your calendar just because sort of putting something on your calendar, I think today is sort of the equivalent of, you know, committing to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think kind of two or three times a day is probably a good you know, a good rule of thumb for most people, um, how long you want to do it 35, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes kind of depends on your own email load. But then I think, you know, to go back to what you were saying before, I think you really want to think about when those blocks of time are. And, you know, can you find sort of a sweet spot where you're checking your email at the moments, you know, when you do need to be sort of most responsive to people, but you're also making sure that if you can, you're not really focusing on email when you're at those times during the day when you would have sort of your peak energy and attention and focus, you know. So for most people, if you think about kind of a classical circadian rhythms, that kind of govern our energy throughout the day. Most people sort of prime time is between about 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Or if you're more of a night owl, maybe 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. But that's kind of the best time to do your sort of most demanding work. And so you probably don't want to be spending all of that time on email during that window. Yeah, and I want to touch on that uh, really important idea of switching in and out of email which you covered briefly. So at some point in my career, I stopped my outlook for elongated periods of time so that I could focus on what was at hand. I didn't even want to get the notifications that there were new emails coming in. And that's Mm -hmm. what I do now. I don't want to get notified because that itself puts me back. That itself hurts my IQ. And I've heard several uh, studies that uh, almost point to the idea that switching or just the idea that you know you have an email or you have a text message waiting for you, Mm -hmm. it drops your IQ by like 10 points as much as smoking marijuana. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that study out of the UK was kind of crazy, right? That was basically, if you were trying to juggle email with other tasks, basically multitasking, you know, it was lowering your IQ by about 10 points, basically the equivalent of working (laughs) without a night's sleep or smoking, smoking pot on the job. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's also sort of the other very consistent scientific studies around multitasking that show that, you know, you're sort of in the focus zone if we're in a state of flow. If you switch, there's a switching cost, which usually, and it usually takes you about 25 minutes to get back into the, you know, really get back to where you were 
in that sort of focus zone. So obviously, if you think about, right, you're trying to focus on, you know, whatever, creating a new pitch presentation or something for an hour. If you interrupt yourself a couple of times even to check your email, it's kind of almost like you've taken three steps forward, two steps back, or the ratio might even be something a little bit worse than that when you think about that 25 minute setback from the switching cost. So I think it's really important to be aware of that and to go back to the other idea that you were talking about, about notifications and even having your email on in the background. um, I really recommend that people separate. um, Outlook is an interesting example, I think, because right with Outlook, your sort of email and your calendar are all in one place. So Mm. oftentimes you want to have your calendar open. And so then you have your email open and then you're getting all these email notifications, even if it's not ideal. But, you know, it's kind of the way that Outlook is set up, right? So mm-hmm. if you're in that situation, you know, my recommendation would be to um, separate your email and your calendar in some way if you need to have your calendar open all the time. So you don't, having your email open all the time is not tied to having your calendar open. And then secondarily, I think that even quarantining your email physically um, in sort of a different space is really powerful and, and kind of there's scientific evidence to back this up as well. It's basically the idea that um, you want to keep kind of your primary workspace or your primary work screen for most of us um, kind of clear and really focused on you know, what your priority work is. If you have that email on in the background, it drains your focus, even if say the window is minimized. So, Mm -hmm. you know, in that case, maybe checking your email only on your phone or only on an iPad. Um, You know, if you also have to be on an app like Slack, keep that in a separate place. Because one of the things that happens is kind of silly, but with multitasking is that it really reduces your short-term memory. Yep. So, you know, right, you'll go to switch, you'll switch over to check your email and then, you know, literally what happens is you like can't remember what you were doing before. And so then maybe you, you know, kind of get sucked into something else and just kind of forget what your priority is. But if that thing is kind of front and center on your primary work screen and your email is always kept somewhere else, you sort of avoid getting a little bit lost sometimes. Yeah. Context switching is a very real concept. Okay. So my background, I'm an electrical and I'm a computer engineer. Uh And one of the things that we have to deal with when we're writing the lowest level code, when writing lowest level assembly code is we have in a computer, in a microprocessor, there is very limited local memory or even cache that's sitting there Mm -hmm. that's right next to the processor. And if we're not going to use it properly, if we switch between one thing that we're doing and we switch to another, we have to empty out the cache and pull in something new. And then again, we have to empty out every time we switch back out. So Mm -hmm. it's the same with our our local memory or our short-term memory. We have to empty it out or we have to load something back in. So we've lost a lot of time just doing that emptying out of memory and loading something back in again and again and again. I think it's a great metaphor for it. And I think that, you know, I mean, I think if, if you are able to just experiment with that, even if, you know, if you're someone who checks email really obsessively, even just say, okay, like not for an hour, not for two hours today, I'm going to check my email, stick to that for a week and see what the outcome is. And, you know, I think it's fairly likely that the impact is going to be pretty strong if you're able to stop interrupting yourself, as you said, so you can kind of truly get into the momentum of things. But I think one of the things to um, bear in mind, right, is it's very realistic in the approach that I suggest to people. And so I think, you know, if you do want to batch check your email, but you have a specific set of people who you feel like their emails are incredibly 
really urgent and you do need to be aware if and when they email them so you can respond quickly, then you maybe just want to, you know, experiment with something like using VIP notifications, um, you know, which is there is in um, Apple Mail and there's also sort of other ways with the Gmail app to identify people as priority senders. And so you can set that up to so you only get a push notification for, say, you know, that limited group of maybe two, three, four people who you really need to see that email right away. But then that can kind of make you feel comfortable completely ignoring your inbox because I think that some people are just kind of, it's try to go very all or nothing with it, but then they get anxious. And so then that kind of sucks them back into checking their email. So I think you have to get, you know, you have to get strategic about it and be like, okay, well, these people are important, but that's it. I'll mm-hmm. set up notifications for them. And then everyone else can just, you know, wait until 3 p.m. when I'm going to check my email. Yeah. And one of the other strategies I've worked with in the past in my corporate job was to tell the people who are important that if you really need to get hold of me, call me, text me, and that will be the way I'll respond quickly. Yeah. I mean, I think if you have the sort of power or autonomy in the relationships to be able to dictate that, then, you know, 100% kind of set it up in a way that's going to be ideal for you. All right. We've been talking a lot about uh, the kind of management side of email into how to really get control over it in some ways. I I still want to talk about creating a sense of progress outside of email, but maybe that's something we cover later in the action items. Let's, Let's talk a little bit about the biases that we have when I guess switching channels here in this interview, let's now talk about how to use email effectively. And I think one of the keys to using email effectively is to understand our audience and to be able to address them properly. And the key behind that is to understand the inbuilt bias behind them, right? Yeah, and I think one of the things that... um so, you know, a little bit later into the book, in the, in the book, I got, you know, into some more just very like kind of strategic tip oriented stuff, basically about how to, you know, send the emails that are people are going to pay attention to and that are going to provoke action. And I think one of the things that, you know, we all sort of know intuitively, but maybe don't think about consciously these days, right, is, I mean, obviously, we know how overloaded we are with email, but we don't necessarily sort of take that into account every time that we send an email to someone. And we also, especially when you're thinking about, you know, writing important emails that are sort of an ask or, you know, kind of a cold call pitch type of email, a lot of times those emails, because they're very important to us, you know, you want to get it right because you want someone to respond. Maybe you'll craft an email like that on your desktop, but then you kind of forget that almost anyone who receives an email is going to look at it for the first time on a mobile phone. Mm -hmm. So I think thinking about kind of that context switch, the idea that everyone is, we're all kind of really busy. We're all kind of really overloaded. And we're all kind of really sort of just kind of skimming and trimming our inboxes on our mobile phones, usually first before we really decide what we want to focus on all kind of dictate sort of a new approach to, um, you know, the way that we that we write emails when we want people to really pay attention to them. So, you know, you mentioned the biases, right? So one is kind of the busy bias, you know, understanding that everyone's attention is constrained and kind of overstretched thinking about that. And then the second bias is the negativity bias, which just to recap really quickly is this thing that Daniel Goleman, the father of emotional intelligence uncovered, which is basically this idea that basically every time sort of between the uh, writing of an email and the receiving of an email, every email kind of gets downgraded a few positivity notches. So if I send you an email and I feel positive about it, you will tend to feel neutral about it. If I feel neutral about the email when I send it, you when you receive it will tend to feel negative about it. Um, and this is what Goldman calls the, the negativity bias. And the reason that it happens is that um, really because when we're emailing people, there's sort of this, what's missing is this key element that's sort of the social feedback loop, right? Mm-hmm. So 
right now you, you were you and I are talking um, on the telephone, you know, so you can kind of tell from my vocal tone, my pauses, you know, they kind of shade the meaning of what I'm saying. If we were talking in person, you could also see my facial expressions and my physical gestures. And again, you would get a lot more information about what I intended with what I was saying from all of those things. Yeah. And then an email, all of that's just absent. So we kind of have to, I think, you know, kind of upgrade our empathy and our enthusiasm a bit to kind of counteract that negativity bias. One of the things that we do a lot is email our customers. So mm-hmm. what are some specific things we can do to make sure we craft the right email that gets read and gets action taken on rather than be sent to spam or trash? you know, kind of um, returning to that idea of what we're talking about, the most emails are going to be read for the first time on a mobile phone. I think it's incredibly important, but, you know, are often drafted on a desktop. I think it's really important to actually preview every message that you send, or at least every very important message that you send to preview it on a phone, because something that looks totally reasonable and digestible on a desktop could look you know, like war and peace, basically on an iPhone. <laughs> and I think, you know, everyone is so overwhelmed and attention is scarce that if something looks overwhelming, it's just going to get ignored. A couple other things I think are really important is just number one, to kind of lead with the ask. I think in a short attention span world, you want to get to the point right away. You don't want to wait, you know, make someone read through three, four or five paragraphs to understand what this email is about. You know, you don't want to be pushy and you might have an email where you, where you need to further explain something and that's fine. Like go ahead and do that, but kind of lead with the ask and even be thinking about that kind of two line message preview that someone's going to see in their inbox. And is that something that's really going to capture their attention? I think another really important point, um, especially in this in this age where everyone is feeling really overwhelmed by their inbox is to try to extremely quickly establish your credibility. I think when people open emails, there's kind of this tacit question hovering in the back of their mind, which is basically sort of like, why should I care about this? Or why should I care about this person? And so you want to establish your credibility again, when you're dealing, maybe, you know, kind of reaching out uh, with a pitch or something like that. I think thinking about the negativity bias, another thing is to, as I was kind of saying, just in general, I think kind of constantly be trying to sort of put yourself in the other person's shoes to kind of upgrade your empathy and your enthusiasm. I think also when you're dealing, you're someone who you know, maybe is particularly busy or important, empathizing with their workload, just, you know, as simple as, you know, saying at the end, like, you know, I appreciate your time, you know, taking time out of your busy schedule to consider this or something like that. Just something so you are communicating that you understand that, you know, this email is kind of one small little piece of information that's coming to them and they're, you know, extremely overwhelming schedule. People send emails and it's sort of like they feel like their email is the most important thing in the world ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think another thing that we often don't do in email that is incredibly important is ex- expressing gratitude, um, whether it's thanking, you know, employees um, for, you know, getting a task done or for their contribution to a project. We tend to, a lot of times, especially with thanking people in email, we tend to think, oh, it'll just be like more clutter in their inbox. You know, like I'll just, I'll skip it. And studies that have been done and people were, I think it was 50% more likely, basically twice, they were not 50, let's say 200%. They were twice as likely to help someone out again if that person had expressed appreciation or said thank you. So I Mm. think that in this world where we're all extremely busy, it's important to remember that it actually is um, very valuable to take time to, you know, express gratitude when people are kind of helping you out. Mm. And one of the last things I think is kind of interesting, kind of counterintuitive pieces of advice is when you're reaching out to someone who's particularly busy is to always try to give them a deadline or at least some context 
for time if possible. Certainly you don't want to do it in sort of a presumptuous sort of way, but I think that busy people love deadlines because they help them sort of prioritize, you know, when they need to deal with something and, you know, if something is urgent or if it's not. And I think a lot of times people leave that information out and it actually makes um, someone less likely to respond because you're kind of requiring them to do this additional work of deciding if and when to respond to you. Um, you know, an example for myself as a writer is frequently people um, get in touch because they talk about productivity a lot and they'll be working on some article and they'll want me to comment, but they never tell me the deadline or like when they need the information by. And so then like I have to send them an email asking them about the time and then they have to email me back and it creates a sort of, mm. um, you know, sort of additional level layer of a few more emails that for me is just sort of annoying, quite frankly, you know, when they could have just said, well, you know, I need it by this Friday. If you can participate, great. Like, please get back to me. If you don't have the time, like, that's fine, too. You know, um, it kind of ends up putting the onus on the other person if you don't give them that kind of time context. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. That's a lot of a lot of great, great insights into how to actually craft and craft email that will get response and how to craft email that will actually get read and get action taken on so Jocelyn, it's uh i think we're we're running close to the end of the interview and uh, before we end it i always ask for three specific action items i know in this interview we've already covered a whole bunch of them so if there's anything else that you'd like to add in terms of action item compared to everything else that we've covered i'd give the mic back over to you or we'll just uh close um, I would say first thing is, um, you know, we talked about kind of the completion bias and, um, you know, this idea of sort of the allure of kind of progress bars, um, trying to figure out sort of, you know, progress hacks that make your meaningful work as addictive as email. So for myself, you know, what I do and what I might recommend to people is I have a little calendar that sits next to my desk where I track my daily progress. For me, I'm a writer. So, you know, it's kind of word count per day. But in some way, trying to track these kind of little baby steps of progress that you're making every day so that you start to get a sense that the meaningful work, the work that we often ignore in favor of doing email, um, you start to see the progress that's happening there and kind of feel the momentum and get that that kind of um, dopamine hit of progress from the work that really matters to you so that you don't just get that from email and from busy work. I think maybe the second tip I'll just do too would be to um, make a stop doing list. You know, we're all kind of so overloaded and over busy that um, in many ways, productivity is becoming about what you don't do and really about kind of, you know, learning how to say no. So I think we all kind of make daily to-do lists, but I think every, you know, three months, six months, it's interesting to think about making a stop doing list and kind of putting the things that on there that you really are finding are a huge drag on your productivity and kind of calling them out and then trying to, you know, maybe strategize different ways that you organize your day, things that you do to um, make sure that you're kind of filtering out um, that noise and those activities that are really holding you back. Yeah, absolutely. And that's like one of the critical elements of strategy, realizing what we are going to pursue and what we're not going to pursue and holding steady on that. So. You're you're right up with there with the with the business school side of thinking of strategy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that I think that the ability to focus and cut through the noise is really a huge, if not the biggest, kind of competitive advantage that you can develop right now. Yeah. Well, Jocelyn, this has been a lot of fun, a lot of great learning. Uh, tell us about the book. I know it's already out in the stores just as we speak this week, the week of October sixth. So tell us yeah. more about it and how to get hold of you. Yeah, 
yeah, the book is um, just came out. It's on Amazon. It's in bookstores everywhere. Um, it's called Unsubscribe: How to Kill Email Anxiety, Avoid Distractions, and Get Real Work Done. Um, yeah, and people can visit my website, which is jkgle.com/unsubscribe um, if they want to learn more about the book. It's fun. It's a pretty um, fast read, and it also has some pretty uh, some pretty cool illustrations in it. Yeah. All right. Well, Jocelyn, thank you very much for taking the time to do this. I know I learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners definitely took away some new action items for them to go implement and make themselves more productive. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me again. It was my pleasure. Well, last month was really exciting because I got to talk to a lot of you one-on-one. I got to understand your challenges and your frustrations in your entrepreneurial journey. And a lot of you got back to me after the call saying that you applied the advice you got from me and it helped you out tremendously. And that to me is one of the most rewarding things for me, knowing that I was able to help you move forward. So even though my initial plan was to just do this for one month, given the fun I had and given your overwhelming response and request, I have opened up my Thursdays for this month as well. So I'll do this again. I will talk to you, listen to you, answer any and all business questions you may have and take in any suggestions you have for us, for the podcast, for the YouTube channel, for our products. So if you would like to talk to me, just schedule a free 30-minute chat with me at 2000books.com slash discuss or text the word discuss to 44222 and we will get talking, you and I. Now, I'm really excited about this because it will really give me the opportunity to get to know you, understand you, and serve you better. By the way, I want to be doubly clear that this is not a sales call. I will not pitch anything to you, and I hope you won't sell anything to me either, okay? So let's just talk like friends. Deal? All right. So I'm only doing this for Thursdays, and there are only four Thursdays this month. So get a time slot before they're all gone. Just head on over to 2000books.com slash discus or text the word discus to 44222 and schedule a time that is convenient for you. And I'm really looking forward to talking with you. So let's do this. So a lot of you have asked me how I consume seven books a week. Well, I do read a lot, but I also listen to audiobooks when I'm driving, when I'm working out, when I'm running errands, when I'm out running. It's such a great use of my time. And not only that, I listen to the books at three times the normal speed. Yeah, it's 3x. So I consume a six-hour-long book in two hours flat. I just love Audible for that. And I've been using it for years now. And right now, you can... Give Audible a try by signing up for a free trial membership and get any audiobook in their library for free. And if you don't like it, just cancel the trial membership and you won't be charged anything. However, you still get to keep the audiobook forever for free. So to avail this offer, just head on over to 2000books.com slash free. That's 2000books.com slash F-R-E-E free. Well, until next time, my ambitious friends, go out and live a courageous life.